Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. I'm coming to you from rainy Roehampton, where Wimbledon qualifying on day two is delayed due to rain, which looks like it might be the first of a whole lot of rain that will interfere with this year's tournament. But thanks to the powers of audio editing and time and whatever else, we can port you back somewhere much more pleasant to sunny Mallorca last week for a conversation I had the wonderfully sunny and wonderfully pleasant Felix Taralba. Felix was a chair umpire for the WTA and working Grand Slams and things like that for several years and just recently left that post, that high up chair, to work full-time for the company Emotion, which manages and runs the Mallorca Open. So we talked to Felix a little bit about that, but more about his time in the chair because I know chair empires are a fascinating point of interest for many tennis fans. Uh, the third, the supporting actor on the court between the two leads, so to speak, and their personalities have become well-known and people have favorites and least favorites and things like that and scrutinize a lot of what chair empires do. So to, to shine some light on all those decisions, here is Felix Taraba communicating with us on the power of communication and more. Take it away, Felix. Very happy to be joined by Felix Taralba here at the Mallorca Open. Felix, hello. Hi, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here. So what would you say, um, just, just talk about, I guess, what, what you're doing now. Let's start, start with the present. You're working for the tournament. You started working for the tournament back in March. Exactly. Is that right? Just talk about how you decided to leave the, uh, the chair and come to work at, a, at one tournament. So that's a good question. Um, so yeah, I'm now the director of operations of the Mallorca Open, uh, WT International Tournament. Uh, obviously, I've been working for the WTA now four years as a chair umpire, so I know the organization and it was just a great fit. It's in Spain and, uh, you know, for me, the, the, the thing was I've always, and I've, I've said this sometime before, for me, officiating has given me pretty much everything. The opportunity to travel, to meet people, to uh, learn a lot of communication with all kind of people. Um, now, I, have, I was very lucky that I got to where I was very young. Yeah. I got my gold badge when I was, what, 27 or 26. Um, so it was now looking, you know, I've always seen it as my plan B. It was always my hobby. And I always, I did my studies, my law studies, and I had my master's that I've been doing the last couple of years in, in Ohio, actually, yeah. in the U.S., in Ohio University. And um, so basically, you know, I just thought and, you know, what's next? What's now? I've done some finals. I've done, I've been lucky enough to do a Wimbledon mixed final. I've been, you know, it was the fact was that it came to a point where I knew what I had done and I just wanted to keep doing things. Yeah. And uh, what was the next step? And uh, some new challenge. Challenge. Yeah. Just yeah. keep growing, keep growing. And um, suddenly this opened up. And uh, I think I was just maybe too young to have done quite a lot to say okay this is a great life I love what I do but maybe too early to get to that point where you say okay I'm gonna establish myself here and um, so I had always this curiosity I want I wanted to do things where I can still have you know you do things and things happen yeah and uh, so this opened up and it was an amazing opportunity so, so what goes into being director of operations for a tournament uh, a WTA international tournament like what, what are the what are your responsibilities what are the what are the challenges here of putting all this all this together people we you know we arrive i arrive to a different tournament almost every week and everything's already set up and everything looks like it was oh it's easy it's always been that way or whatever but it's a lot of work that goes into making 
an event and I'm guessing you're learning a lot of that now. So it, it, it takes way more than what I thought it takes. <laughs> Let's start saying that. Well, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be, you know, um, involved or part of this, of the Emotion group. Emotion has several events, so there was a big, big, big experience behind. This is like the new baby from Emotion. Mm-hmm. Emotion there's Stuttgart, there's Vienna for the ATP, there's some golf events. So um, I think their approach has been right. They wanted to also bring some more Spanish people, people with more knowledge about the WTA. So it was a right fit for both of us. And um, what goes into it? Pretty much everything. Like things you wouldn't just think about. Um, I don't know, like setting on setting up phone lines because this club is a beautiful. Uh, it is in a beautiful environment. You yeah, have this beautiful rooftop All the beautiful and everything. Stone and everything. It's really it's, pretty. It's yeah. really nice. The grass courts is the only grass courts in Spain. We yeah. have we are official partner of Wimbledon. They have yeah. really supported us enormously. Rafa's practicing here Rafa this week because practicing. he's the only grass courts he can we find. Kerber yeah. last week. Okay, doing some practice here that. as well. Okay. So basically. It's a number one spot <laughs> where the number ones practice. Oh, cool. So, you know, it has been like, um, it's a fantastic place. Um, now, what goes into it? Everything, the setup, the electricity. I couldn't believe how much electricity setup you have to create for an event like this. The flooring, where do you put, how do you make, how do you get to the people, marketing, how do you set up uh, the space, how do you make it functional, security is a big issue all the services toilets yeah do you have enough toilets do you have to bring toilets do you have like so many things um pre-events we did a, a tour with tony nadal our tournament director that we were visiting tennis clubs all around the balear islands yeah. we went to Menorca to be Bivica and you know things like this because those are things you do for the event as well to you know to get to the children which is at the end what you want to you know, they you want them to know about yeah. you. There's a tennis fans and so many things. Pre-event, event, yeah. side events, yeah. post-event. And I'm I'm still afraid of the post-event. You know, that's that's still to come. So I'm sure there will Evaluating be more surprises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Cool. So let's go back to your um, starting at the chair empire. So you, when did you start being a, a tennis official? How did you, how did you get started? Well, that was long time ago I guess now I was 17 okay and um, I lived in Canary Islands and then I had um, guys from a different club calling and saying listen you you speak German didn't you in, in English like can you help us out we have a futures it's the first first futures tournament in, in Spain or in, the, in, in Gran Canaria for for a long time we need people to help out with the tournament desk so I basically went there when I was almost 17 actually and um, I was sitting there doing tournament desk a little bit, practice, you know, calling hotels, yeah. helping out with, with all kind of, of things you need in a, at a future event. And then this, uh, the, the supervisor, the referee at that event looked at me and said, listen, you're young, you speak languages, you should be an umpire. And I said, what's that? You know, and yeah. then that's how it started, actually. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do the school. There were some more coming in February. Um, so I said, you know, let's do it. And then I signed up for the course. I did my course. I got my practice. So what is what is in and, the course? Uh, what do you have to learn to be a chair umpire? In, in so the courses yeah. depend very much on every federation. So every federation does it differently. The USTA might have a different system. I know there are levels in Spain at that time, which also has changed. It was a three-day, very intense course where you had three days of classes and then um, an exam on Sunday evening. And then basically you had to do four chairs kind of uh, during one year, let's say as a practice, to get the real, the final approval. Um, the three uh, days were intense, yeah. I did it in December, something like this, and um, 
It was funny enough, I didn't really do my chairs for practice before I even did my first chair at a 25k. Like, that okay. was my very first match. It was, they needed people, Canary Islands, you know, it's quite far away. There were yeah. no umpires, and they said, young kid, go up, do it. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Was, uh, I couldn't. They all looked very similar <laughs> and the names were impossible to pronounce. I didn't really know what a single stick was at that time. Like it was like everything was happening, and, you know, yeah. you just keep moving, keep going. It was a doubles and okay. I, my single sticks were still there and I thought maybe they have to be there. I, I couldn't. So it was <laughs> so those, are, those people don't know. Those are the sticks that go up in the on the singles line, right? To exactly. Those are the sticks that a little bit higher. When, when it's a doubles yeah. net and you play a singles match, yeah. you kind of put single sticks, which takes the function of the post but for the singles net yeah so basically some big tournaments you have a doubles net and a singles net most of the tournaments only have one doubles net and you just put in the single sticks at the same height in the right place so that it takes the effect of a, of a single make it net. four feet right exactly at the, at the end. okay yeah so that, that you learned that and how did you sort of work your way up to doing from beyond just doing a couple local tournaments in the canary islands to uh being so, a, a worldwide the very Gold first thing was star. getting out of the chair, you know, and having had a, a tough time. All the players knew immediately I was new. Uh, I was a kid. And at took that advantage time. of that, you think? No, but I think, you know, they, they knew. Yeah. As soon as they saw my single sticks up there, they knew I was, I was got the new kid on the block. Um, but that was Maria Chichak, who just said hi, <laughs> by the way. And, chair uh, and yeah, as soon as I, that happened, I went out of there and I said, I want more. I just enjoyed this. And I was, yeah. I was terrible, but I enjoyed it. And... What did, this, what did you like about it? Is this, you know, it's kind of acting, I guess, at yeah. some point. But it's on the other hand, it's the communication. It's not the same how you say things. If I say, please, I can say, don't hit your record against the court. Or I can say, we'll understand this, but please take care of the court. You know, oh, so it's the way you pass the message Or you could along. just say warning and not say anything. That's yeah. if it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. No, like, it's just the communication. It's when yeah. do you really are, when, I, when do you have to be strict? When do you have to know how to communicate with the player always trying to put positive messages instead of you know saying no yeah. i think a no message is always tougher to sell yeah sometimes you have to do but that's that's the that's the fun of it everyone has his character his personality and and you work with that and that's how you get the confidence of the players and you, and you can see that you can see that with watching different chair empires call matches they all have their own different personality their different style their different Absolutely, methods yes. of communication like you said different tone they set some are loud some are quiet you have to be you know you have to yeah. be yourself and then yeah. then you are valid to be on the tour or maybe you just you know it's not that you're not good or it's just you don't fit what it's needed right. to be on the top so it's more a question of who you are how do you present it and how you fit into officiating because it's obviously say it's a kind of uh, unusual job let's call yeah. it like that so yeah. um, it's a job where you usually lose <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but on the other hand where you have a lot of participation and you see yourself when, whenever nobody sees you when when things go smooth you enjoy a lot when the match is great you're sitting there you just delivering to the crowd as well you know like yeah. Those are the moments where you're just sitting there and saying, man, I have the best job in the world. Yeah. So. That's, that's cool. Obviously, you want things to go quietly. So you don't want to have a moment that becomes a big controversy or a big viral moment or something happening on court. I don't think you... I can't remember too many if you had any of those. Did good. You? If you don't remember, that's a good sign. <laughs> okay. Maybe you did and I forgot, but that's good. I don't, I don't remember too many. Okay. So you mentioned being a gold badge at 26 or 27, like that, which is, like you said, young. Can you describe what that is? What, what the different sort of certifications are once you get to the pros and... Gold badge, ITF gold badge is the highest, yeah. and and what it takes to get there, and how you have to 
how you move up the ladder. So basically, every national federation has what they call a national national system. So you yeah. might be some countries have level one, level two, level three national officials. Um, once you have your national highest degree in Spain at that time, there was only one. There you have a chance to move into white badge. Then from white badge, there would be bronze badge, silver badge, and gold badge. So basically. Nationals, white and bronze, go with schools that you have to pass. You're first to be selected to, which is not easy. Mm -hmm. That goes with evaluations. Like we, people help out. You know, people watch your matches and give you tips, give you advice, help you learn, help you improve. What sort? What sort of advice did you get? Like, what what sort of Lots. critiques did you get? It's like it's not hey. only critiques. I think it's it's more about opening up. I think it's just instead of saying this is right, this is wrong, because everyone is different. You just have to say, well, this is what he did. What other options are there? Did you consider that option? Did you think about maybe doing this? And just opening up new paths yeah. to solve solutions. Giving I, I always say, and I, I the, one of the parts I enjoyed most about officiating is, is coaching or okay. mentoring and then working with with uh, younger umpires yeah. was about just giving them the right tools. So what? So the what, more tools they have, the better they fix everything. So like, what's an example of a situation that comes up on court that you can um, handle different ways? Okay, well, let's say, for example, a uh, ball mark inspection. Okay, okay ball yeah, mark inspections, yeah. we're Spanish, we play a lot of clay. Yeah. Um, a ball mark inspection, you have, not every, every ball mark inspection is different, requires a different acting. So sometimes it's, the ball is marked, you just go down, point at it, show it in and out, leave. Sometimes you just need your space, or sometimes you just need a second communication with the player and maybe a second explanation. Yeah. Sometimes... You know, if the player is on the opposite side of the net, you might need to approach him and make him feel you're there for him if he wants a second explanation. So how you go to the mark, how you point the mark, how you position yourself, how do you sell it, how do you explain to the person the decision goes you against. You have to be confident in what you're saying, right? Is that a big part of it? And being very honest. I yeah. think that that's that's one thing we have umpires always, and I still talk about myself as an umpire because I think I'm going to always be an umpire. But, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where you just, you have to to know that you're transmitting and the p person is having confidence and trust in you. Yeah. And then that's basic, you know, if if the person in, next to you is, is not happy or is doubting or you're not able to transmit confidence, the next time when he's on the other side of the net, he's going to have even less confidence. And that's not what you want. You just want him to grow on that confidence to make sure. And that's that's when that happens. They even, you know, they understand mistakes. Players do mistakes. Umpires do mistakes. Yeah. But if you have that relationship of trust where you say, listen, you might have a great day or a bad day, but we know you can do the job, that's when you really settle yourself and say, okay, I'm in it. So getting up to goal badges, that's just about getting a lot of good evaluations time after time and just getting promotions like any other job, I guess, essentially? Pretty much, and giving opportunities, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's being in the right moment in the right spot and things happen and you react because many, many times it's not only about the techniques or about the, you know, the experience, which is crucial in officiating everything I think you need your time you know to move on yeah you need your time to be exposed in front of 12,000 people or uh, you know on big stadiums on TV so it's basically getting the experience before you get exposed or before you get you know boom in front of, of the big yeah. of the big house yeah. and uh, and obviously having a lot of discussions and talking and not being afraid of saying listen I did this what do you think or let's watch this video and what other options yeah. were they and and I think that's a big point, you know, knowing that, and I still think I could keep improving a lot of things in my officiating. There is a lot of new situations every year, every I would match say. Is like every match, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Like, how do you, do you say, ah, I'm not happy, you know, I, I maybe was too strict too early, or, yeah. you know, I shouldn't have, I should have understood this other way, or, so there is always 
room for improvement. Yeah. Um, so. And it's something that I guess there's like among the community of chair empires. I see we see chair empires sitting, you know, near the entrance of the court, watching a lot of other matches even when they're not working too. And, and I guess how much do you, do you guys just sort of talk and feed it off each other, just in terms of the, just the professional stuff. Like how social is it in terms of being, you know, hey, I was watching that match and I saw, you know, you gave a time violation for this and she reacted this way, da 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 da, da that sort of stuff. So those conversations you have a lot. Well, I would say, first of all, we watch a lot of tennis because we also like tennis. Yeah. <laughs> if not, you wouldn't turn into tennis official. And uh, so that's, that's good to, for everyone to know. We like tennis. We yeah. love tennis and we're tennis fans. Um, and then obviously, yes. Obviously, we, it's not a very critic, as I told you. It's more about learning why what had happened before you can't judge if you only watch five minutes you don't know what has happened before what's going to come what's the feeling of the umpire when he's up there you know i'm losing it a little bit i need to step forward or it's the reading of the match and i think that, that that's something where you can really discuss and have chats about and everyone has a bad day everyone has a great day and, and in both moments you need people to tell you you know this will pass but this will pass as well yeah. so just so when you think you know that was a bad day okay you had a bad day keep going or you had a great day well bad days are to come it's, like, it's more about finding this consistency and, and being able to yeah. discuss and talk because at the end you do things trying to do your best and there is never a problem to discuss and say listen that's why I acted this way now I know maybe this way would have you know might have triggered something different yeah. maybe not you never yeah. know but it's obviously that reading that, that personality that you have and that obviously a relationship with the players in terms of, of them being used to have you there, them being used to see your face every day. Um, all those all those are factors yeah. in place, absolutely. So you mentioned um, working at Wimbledon final before, I guess. What, are those mixed final. Mixed final. Let okay, me but say still, it was a mixed final. It was final, still a Wimbledon final. It was final, incredibly just, enjoyable. Yeah. You get a little trophy for that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that's a good. beautiful coin. There you go. So what? What? Um, I guess what are the biggest accomplishments for a chair empire at the, the Grand Slam? I guess working Grand Slam finals is obvious. You know that. And, I, and the second part of that question is how is this different? But like, how do those things get decided? How How does it work when they're deciding? Who gets to work the biggest matches at a tournament? So that's um, the first question. Um, let me tell you that there is no bigger because, for example, some matches you have a second round match which is just amazing and you enjoy and you had the fun of your life and maybe you have some finals finals that go quick, quick, quick. So I think that's more external recognition. I think okay. the internal recognition, the officiating part of it, that's on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, I never saw myself looking into oh I need to do this before retiring or I need to do that. No. It was more about, am I doing the right things, you know? Am I confident now? Yeah. So sometimes you don't do the big final, but you had the best match of the year, and it was quarterfinals in a, a Masters or in a, in a Premier event. And so it's, it's not about that external recognition, it's more about the internal one. When you see that any match happening, you can be assigned as an umpire, you know they trust you, and, and you know that, that backs you up. And how they decide, that's a great question. <laughs> On the supervisors, I guess. <laughs> so it obviously has a lot of facts. It's a mystery to, to it to you. You don't always know. Well, we don't. We don't really know. Obviously, you, you countries might be an issue when you assign umpires. You know. But there's a lot of like British. French umpires who get French Open finals. I know that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and then that's you know, it's it's a French tournament. Maybe it's also kind of you know our recognition. And I mean, there's so many factors, and every tournament does a little bit different. Every supervisor does a little bit different. Every so there is never there is no formula. I think in officiating generally there is no A plus B makes C. That 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 doesn't exist in yeah. officiating. I can do A plus B and get C, and you can do exactly the same and have a di complete different result. Yeah. So. 
there is no formula anyway. So. so in terms of making your schedule, you were a full-time WTA employee? Yes. Is that right? So how much did you get to pick your tournaments? How much were they assigned to you? And could you also work other tournaments on the side? Like I know, like, I know Ava, I've seen Ava Azdaraki working like an ATP tournament when she was, a, she's a, she was a WT, when she was a WTA employee, I don't think she is anymore. Um, how much, how, how much are you sort of freelance and how much is it you get an assigned roster of tournaments? Because I know, because people have flexibility, like I know, I talked to Maria Tchak earlier and she didn't work the French Open. Yeah. Which might seem surprising from the outside that a top chair empire wouldn't work a Grand Slam, but you have that kind of flexibility. Obviously when you work for the WTA, um, as a team member of the WTA uh, chair empire team, um, my commitment is with the WTA first, obviously. Okay. That's that's um, that's the organization I, I chose and all, or I got the opportunity to work yeah. with. Um, how did you choose them? But was you that know, an easy choosing a tour? Again, it makes it, it depends very much on your character, on how things are going, on yeah. the trust they have in you. They might approach and say, "We think we can count on you." It just depends on the moment, where yeah. you are, how do you get along, how you, the players are accepting you. I think there's lots of things, I guess, in in, in, in that equation. Um, in terms of scheduling, I think one thing is very important is that you realize that you need a healthy schedule. We travel, uh, what, 36, 40 weeks of a year, because if you count you know, tournaments as a nine-day event, mm. it's a lot of weeks yeah. abroad, and you need to have some times where you are at home. Sometimes where you, if you do eight tournaments in a row, by seventh or eighth, you're, you're done. You know, So you won't keep to your standards. So you have to find that balance. You have to see that there is a full team of, of members, six members in, in the WTA team at the time and you know everyone has some you know maybe I have a personal commitment my brother is getting married and that's a, that's a week I might say listen that's very important for me and then maybe my colleague or as you mentioned Maria or Mariana has some other commitments and we try to work it out yeah. but um, it's pretty much set and, and, and we work on it and there might be a slight changes during the year but, but trying to make it be reasonable How if many you have one week in Beijing and the next week you should be in uh, Miami, that's that's a problem. <laughs> how, many, how many tournaments a year did you usually work? I usually, well, it depends. When I was, I had phases where I worked, what, 30, I think the year I worked most was 34 weeks. Oh, wow, okay. And that was too much. Yeah. <laughs> and generally I was working, what, 27 events. Okay. And that would be a good number for the last couple of years. Okay. Um, which is enough. It's, it's a lot. Travel that's more days, than a player. Or that's like a, a high end of what a player plays. Okay. Well, and then... For the good or for the bad, because many people would love it, but others would say, yeah. <laughs> so you never lose in the first round. Exactly. Same with, same with media. Yeah. I don't think players, so, I don't think players always appreciate that, that we are here, they get to go absolutely. home early sometimes. We absolutely. are here from so, sometimes qualifying to final. So yeah, and, for the good yeah. and for the bad, you exactly. know, it's, it's, you get to enjoy the big days. Uh, but yes, yeah, every, every tournament is, 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 a, is a long gap. It's usually eight to nine days plus travel yeah. days. So at the end, you know, if you do too many in a row, that's that's hard on your body, if, but obviously yeah. if you go to New Zealand, you want to stay there and make it, yeah. you know, also that you get adapted and that you're in time, and then yeah. so I think you, all those factors together make you do a good scheduling, mm -hmm. and obviously every tour or every company, ATP, WTA, ITF, they have their own people in charge of doing yeah. those schedules and discussing with the umpires how did that work for you last year? So is it too much? Maybe I see you're too tired. It's too too long of an US swing, maybe or. So you try to adapt things to what works. Yeah. And within a day, a, a day at work, you generally, I think early rounds, most times chair empires call two matches a day. Is that standard? Mm -hmm. I would say that's uh, pretty on average for the first days of a week. Obviously, if you go to quarter semis finals, you're probably doing 
many one. times one, or you might have had three on the on the on the first days because you know it depends very much if there is a change of chord and then that was not planned and you might need to jump in. But I think two that's usually what you need a bit of time to get ready, yeah. to focus, to be to know what you're doing. The match between you start warm or whatever it's let's say on average would be two hours. No. Uh, that's that's a big commitment, the hours you, you, you're on site, you know, before the match, in between matches, after the match to do also some paperwork, whatever. Like, there is a lot of, so it's two matches a day is, 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 a, is a full day. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I guess how much, and we'll get to the listener questions, we got a bunch of soon, but last thing, just one wondering, how much do you guys interact with the line judges? Because sometimes much. they're different in other cities, but I mean, both on court and off, because I think you see, you know, you know, umpires giving like thumbs up or, or smiles or whatever after like a tight call they might say it was a good call like thumbs up whatever or just you know relax and whatever how do you communicate with them on court and then off court i guess because they some of them travel the world also but some of them might just work a couple of local tournaments so how do you balance getting to know them well i think during the week we do a lot of meetings and we chat a lot and we want because we want them to know what officiating is and we want to be there for them as i said before coaching mentoring helping out you know watching their matches younger umpires coming up with line umpires, obviously, they're in officiating already. They might know you, or they might not know you, but have seen you somewhere. Yeah. So just make yourself available and, and be there and, and and be a big, big team. I think it's very important that from the supervisor to the last, you know, youngest, most unexperienced line umpire, it is a team because that's the way officiating is going to work well. If you know what you expect from each other, if you can adapt things during the week, things need to be better, you know, and then better stronger voice or we need to be you know be adapting to the heat or we need to change rotations just it's very important to listen to each yeah. other it's very important to know how you guys work with each other and to get to know people because those that young guy or that young girl might be the next you know top umpire in yeah. eight ten years time so yeah. just to make them to, to make yourself visible to make yourself available did, did you ever feedback. do line judge were you ever a line judge i did i did a few times actually um i wasn't too much of a I, as i said i was very unusual that i i started straight into into futures um i as think chair empire, yeah. yeah i started straight in the chair and, and, and on future level which is very very unusual probably given by where i lived which was an island um so i I'm not gonna, okay, I'm gonna say that. <laughs> so the first ever line I did in my life was the Fed Cup Finals. Oh, Sarah. really? So I was oh, wow. already, uh, yeah, that was insane. I was a wine pitch already, so so imagine. But then I did a lot more. When I started to travel the tour and, and started to get into Grand Slams, and you know, there you do maybe a few days of chairs and then you go to the lines, but that's where you learn as well. You okay. need to be there, you need to see the umpires, you need to listen to them, what's it, and you what, learn a lot. What's it like uh, looking at a line? For a whole match or you know for for an hour that you're on court what is that like watching that one line and how, what goes into that that's a lot of pressure because yeah. it's if you make a mistake you get someone else in trouble yeah. well, i mean if you're in the chair you get yourself in trouble so i always felt like very very responsible for that line yeah. um it, it it is enjoyable you have this you know uh, adrenaline as well in you same as you have in the chair that you, you want to be right you want to be loud you want to you need to deal with mistakes, and I think handling mistakes nowadays in, in, in today's life, in today's society, it's an extremely important lesson. Yeah. Um, so it is a it is a in, in responsibility, but it is also you know you're part of the tennis, you are part of it, and then you know you, I loved it. Yeah. Do you feel that that sort of energy like it's sort of like a rock star when you like walk on like Arthur Ashe Stadium or something, and there's twenty thousand people there, and you're on the court, and especially as, as the chair empire, let's say you're. You have a microphone. You're like a rock star. You have a microphone that talks to thousands of people in the stands. We're there to have a great night out on, 
in a big New York City. You know, I mean, it's it's. I, <laughs> I think some play. You definitely see some charm pirates. You know, what I'm talking about really enjoying the sort of showmanship of being of you know being theatrical with their voice and things like that. But uh, you do you enjoy that sort of that sort of rush of of being <laughs> of being the the narrator or whatever you want to say for for the match. I would say. Uh, Definitely not. If you hear me saying, you would know I'm not a rock star. I'm a disaster. <laughs> but I think definitely you deliver. You yeah. are the tool to deliver to the people. If 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 you manage the people and the pace as well, they will just reinforce the match instead of affect the match. Yeah. So the control, the crowd control, is I think is also a bigger issue. Um, but yeah, you can you can get to enjoy and. Um, you have to at the beginning you're usually more nervous you know big match lots of crowds but then you get used to it and that's when you enjoy the most um where, where were where were the toughest crowds to manage for you oh, there are several countries it depends also on on might be a match but there are some some parts of the world where you know sport is living is lived as something like all or none you know yeah. like and then there was like an know, Argentina Davis Cup kind of situation I had I one of those or a Uruguay okay. Davis Cup where it was okay. really you know I remember that big crowds and we had to really be stepping in every single day I remember matching Sao Paulo when I was still working with ATP where Argentina and Brazilian playing together that's a clash many many places yeah. like um, I don't know I remember also Challenger and in Serbia, for example, huh. with the crowds were getting bananas and you really need to work a lot and step in from the beginning. But friendly, you need to get them to support you rather than, you know, the tell them what them. to yeah, do yeah, because yeah. then you're lost, you know. So yeah. it's again, it's more about the personality of everyone and it's more about how you read those situations, how do you interact and tough match can be the next one. Yeah. That, that, that's important to know. And I guess also there might be challenges in where you have a crowd, I don't know if you were working like China, but like for example, in like Wuhan, remember the first time I was in Wuhan, the crowd was like walking around during points. They didn't know tennis, you know, norms or rules very well, and you also have to sort of manage that. Do you ever have situations like that where you're in a place where I tennis guess, was yeah, I guess unfamiliar? Like when you're in, in Wimbledon, you probably know everyone knows what tennis is about, and this culture of, of tennis, you 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 can feel. feel yeah. On the other hand, there might be many other places where tennis is new, and then but you need to help tennis to evolve there as well, you know, and develop and. And it's a sort of educating without restricting. It's just making them feel part of it. If, if I'm if I'm behaving after what is expected, I'm just being part of it. I'm making it all be better. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's it's again it's how you transmit. I think officiating is eighty percent about communication. All right. Speaking of communication, we got communicated a bunch Ooh. of questions. From <laughs> so you ready for these? And they're all Let's over go. the place. Let's Lots go. of different things. Uh, you mentioned this, mentioned that you got into officiating because languages was a big thing that helped. Um, how many different languages can you uh, say the score in and say, you know, quiet, please, and things like that? Oh, my God. I, I would say that's probably above 20. Really? Just for that, huh? because we, we write it up and we learn it when yeah. you're traveling. So when you get to a new tournament, but you, you go into China, they give you like thing. a sheet that says like 30. China, funny enough, they score in English yeah, themselves. So that was another question. Like how sometimes they say the score in both English and the, uh, and the away language. Yeah, Anshu Anshu just hello, passing by. Hello, hello. <laughs> um, how, how do you? Yeah, so how do, how do they decide in China? So they don't say it in Chinese. The it, score. It's because you in know Japan, Japan the same, I think, right? I think it's the same in English because their grammar is so different that even in Chinese it wouldn't make no sense to say forty fifteen. So you would need a whole sentence. Okay. So it's it's extremely difficult even for themselves to make it understandable what it is. So. Some countries just do English, some just do French, as you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you learn. You, you, that's a challenge. I remember the toughest one probably 
and nobody's going to be surprised is Poland. Okay. I've never seen 30, 40 as difficult <laughs> as this one. Do you remember how to say it? Uh, I, I you remember how to do you remember say, say, say quietly? It's, like, it's impossible. You know, they sound so similar. It's like, and yeah. then you really get tired. You know, I remember Fed Cup in Poland where you, you are focused so much on how you pronounce that you are tired yeah. after, you know, so... <laughs> So, so can you give can you give us a, a quiet please in some language? Your favorite quiet please or whatever. Players are ready. Thank you. Please sit down. Uh, whatever. Yeah, I would have to think about. It. Okay, I, I would, okay. Nothing would come out now. But, okay. but I, I, okay. Definitely, as soon as you get there, Russia, Croatia, Poland, yeah. Germany, France, Spanish countries. You know, uh, Italian, Portuguese. Portuguese was was always funny for me because it was very similar to Spanish, but you want to sound Portuguese. That was never easy. Um, yeah. So many different languages, absolutely. Yeah. Thailand is probably one of the toughest Ooh. languages I've ever heard. Thai and uh, Thai. I mean, it's you get around a, a lot. Challenges. Yeah, you, yeah, did, yeah. you got around a lot. Um, Finland was tough. Finland, I promise. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know some. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know one, two, three. But no, yeah. no Finnish listeners take it bad, but it's yeah. a very difficult language. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's pretty cool. That you got to know all those different places. Um, in terms of that, also player name pronunciations. Do you just check with a player do they how much do you do that or do you just know and guess because i know there's some players names even top wta players who have difficult to pronounce names like i'm thinking of um the i don't want to say her name because it'll give it away but like the czech woman who plays doubles with bethany maddox sands yes you know who i'm talking about i know because we get always the oh this guy can't pronounce Safarova. yeah i know her name <laughs> and i'm not czech so i'm not sure so maybe some listeners can know about but we have been told by her as well is Shafashova. Yeah, Shafashova. Shafashova. So, obviously, that would be very Czech. But at the end, you are Ben, not Bin. You know. Yeah. Maybe. So at the end, your name is your name. So we try to be with the name. For example, if if herself talks about herself saying Sefarova, we are happy yeah, to say that. Yeah, she said it's okay. She said she's so okay. Whatever is okay with them. Obviously, they are very easygoing. The girls is fantastic to yeah. work with, but. But yeah, if someone has something that he wants to let you know, it's, you know, let us know. Usually in between umpires, we help us out. You know, have you umpired her? Well, how do you pronounce that name? Or if you're with a local umpire and, and they can help you out. So yeah, that's one of those things communication is good for. And, yeah. and, and you, you definitely ask in yeah. the beginning. <laughs> that's good. And if you get it wrong, do, they ever, do players ever correct you during the match? Say like, my name is Shafashava. If it's not... that happens, it means something is going wrong yeah. in the match. I've heard, I've heard, There's I think, a lot of tension. I think I heard. Match. I think I've heard Julia Gerges do that once with her name. I think I've heard her say it. But otherwise, it doesn't happen too. Could much. be, but, but I'm, yeah. I'm sure that if, if that triggers, that means you know the match is being rough. It's yeah. being tough. <laughs> One another question we got from a few people, which is one of the big debates about officiating in tennis right now: uh, Should there be Hawkeye on clay? I have my. I mean, I think Hawkeye does an amazing job. To be honest, yeah. like it has improved tennis. I think technology in sports is always great and welcome. Is it easier for you working court now, with Hawkeye? Well, it's just, it should be the same, yeah. actually. Like if I have to go down and check it or if, if someone else I mean, is going to check just it for me. Like, if, like at this tournament, if I think it's Hawkeye, also, would it be easier I think it's for good you? for everyone. It's good for the players. They're yeah. very calm and confident um, when you don't have Hawkeye. The thing is, can we have Hawkeye on all the courts? Not yet, probably. Um, the other thing is clay court. Clay court, the problem is that the surface changes. Yeah. So for, for Hawkeye, if you have a slide and then there is a bit of clay, clay all together and the ball bounces there, it's not the same bounce. Right. So if you have a surface in the grass, for example, the grass starts very, very leveled and all green. By the end of the week, and especially in Wimbledon after two weeks, 
there is a lot of you know spots where the, higher, the grass lower, is higher yeah. lower so those are all setups you know that affect so I would say clay court having in such clear marks obviously this experience helps you learning how to how to how to call lines and uh, but it's definitely I don't think it would be good yet. Okay. I think it's not ready for play court. That's my own opinion. Okay. It's, it's, they would lose, in my opinion, the the great level they have. You know, the, the 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 accuracy, and then it would be just not helping anybody. Not the players, not the umpires, not the trust in the system. I think they keep working. They do an amazing job, and maybe someday. I'm, I don't think it's 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 really in place yet. It no. shouldn't be happening now. Okay. Another question about checking marks on clay. Do you ever worry about tripping and falling down the ladder when people are coming, going I in and out that. of... You've you done that? I did that yeah. in Finland, actually. And oh. then I started bleeding and the chair came after me. So I put Oh, the one chair leg fell in. down? Yeah. Oh, gosh. That was a disaster. One leg <laughs> no. inside the ladder, one, the whole body outside the ladder. I was on the ground, the chair was on the ground. These are, these are the tough times, you know, oh. where nobody sees you. So those things have to happen before you get to the big courts. Right. Uh, Yo, yeah, that can happen, but Cause cause I jump. Some, sometimes, yeah. especially like I, I, these, I was in Rome and, and Paris, like, Shumpires get out of the chair fast sometimes, yeah. and it's like flying down it. And so you want to keep that mark. Yeah. You want to be convincing. You want to go straight to it, you, you know. Every mark, is, is, as I said, yeah. is different, and I think we mentioned that before. But I think... Going quick, you know, making the player know you're there. You can go anytime if she has doubts. I'm, you're ready for to step in. I think that's that's important as well. Yeah. That's a message. And uh, sometimes you just need it because you have it now. But there's so many marks, you just want to go straight to it. And I, I, no. I usually would jump out of the chair quickly. Yeah. That was my... So on clay or wherever, um, I think especially on clay, or just any Hawkeye court, sometimes there'll be cases and matches where, a chair, where on TV it'll be clear that the chair empire got something wrong. You know, maybe maybe by a lot. You know, or if Hawkeye shows it or not, someone's asking, what are the sort of consequences for a bad call? As, like professional, like if, if you make if you make one or two, or, sorry, or a couple like bad calls that are just clearly really bad, is there any sort of consequence for that, or how how is that dealt with by well, supervisors or anything like that? I mean, everyone can have a better day and a worse day, and officiating obviously has a lot to do with you know managing mistakes as I said no. you know you can't be 100% accurate right. then you wouldn't need Hawkeye or anybody yeah. um, so it's just you can't have a bad call and sometimes it's just you're too late to the call or sometimes it's, it's you are you know it might be so many different reasons maybe you've been sitting there for four and a half hours and yeah. then you just missed that one you know you maybe were controlling something in the, in the, with a the kid that was fainting because of the heat stroke sometimes there is a reason for such a bad call yeah. sometimes it's just you missed that one, you know, you just keep moving. Consequences, I think it's never good. I think everyone in, in their own normal yeah. or usual jobs, you know, you do better things, you do mistakes. Yeah. Let's evaluate, you know, and then that, that's what makes you be on the top, that consistency we were talking about. Everyone is a bad day or yeah. everyone is a bad call. That's, that's part of the job. Similar question, kind of, if you get a line umpire who's missing a lot of calls, the same person out there missing, you know, three, four, five calls, is there a way to place them or just have to wait for the next rotation of a new staffer or speed that up or how, how does that work? I would think that the first thing would be checking with the umpire how, how he's feeling, you know, like uh, maybe he's just having a Sick heat or stroke something, or yeah. sometimes, you know, he had eaten something that he was really feeling bad or, you know, sometimes he's just not having his moment and he's getting nervous, maybe he's less experienced, whatever it is, you know, just find the message, make him feel comfortable. If you think it's better for the match, generally, you might want to say, listen, 
Let's step out a little bit, you know, next for a rotation. You make a swap of lines, maybe. You can do, there is a lot of, of just, things to do. Because generally the lines just rotate like every hour, right? Mm -hmm. Every hour. But you can or speed every that up if need half. be. Yeah. If you need to, if yeah. it's good for the match. I think at the end, what you're there is for the match to have the, the, the best possible, you know, outcome and for the players to be comfortable, for the rules to be in place and enforced. And you take the decisions you have to have. As, as we said before, the more tools you have, the better you're going to deliver your work. You yeah. know, that is another tool. How do you manage you know, you situations on court? On the rules, are there any rules you don't like? Any rule you would want to change? Any rule in Ooh, tennis? That's a good question. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, no, I think I, I understand why the rules are in place. I understand that sometimes, you know, for example, you know, when you see other sports where there is music and there's people moving and it just, you know, is it great? Is it bad? Is it good to keep the, 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 uh, the um, culture of tennis? You might find pros and cons. You might have one opinion one day, one opinion yeah. another day. But at the end, the rules are in place because of what has happened. And so there is always a reason for every rule. So it would be unfair to judge it without a really yeah. longer debate. The smallest rule I would change in tennis, I think, is I would let fans in after every game, not just changeovers. I hate when I'm at a court. And as, as a fan too, when I'm sitting there, standing there waiting for like 10, 12 minutes for two games to finish. Yeah. It can be, take a long time. And I feel like especially fans, you don't only get to see me in tennis once a year. They go to the bathroom after, after the set and they have to wait three games sometimes. That's, that's the one small thing. I, I would, think that's a fair enough rule. But change. for example, yeah. if you say you're in the Arthur Ashe, as you said before, and you have to walk from the gate four yeah. minutes into your seat. And, uh, you know, you're dressed in white. You're just <laughs> walking behind the server. And then the ball, you know, the, the, that, that tr the tracking of the ball can yeah. be affected. So I, I understand the players as well. I understand the fans. And the good thing is to find a balance, to yeah. find something that works for everyone. Maybe there is this, this for sure. There is a lot of, of things to improve. And we keep changing rules and adapting to, to what works best. Yeah. Um, one other rule suggested is a shot clock, like in basketball, for getting for points between serves. I'm sure. And it's been tested in... in um, PTL? Yeah, PTL. I think World Team Tennis had it also. World Team Tennis. Uh, yeah. Although they never really, they sometimes really hit zero and they wouldn't do anything about it. It didn't really get enforced. Um, what, do, what do you think of that idea? And just time violations in, in general. But first the shot clock and then we'll get to I would time say violations. as an umpire, you know, if I'm in charge of the match, I always, you know, like to be in charge of the match. Yeah. So, you know, when everything, everything gets outsourced, uh, I'm, I'm, I think time management is just a part of, of the job. Um, there is a reason why there is a time in between points. There is a reason for everything. It might take a lot of discussion away, but on the other hand, it's going to generate a lot of unfair situations. Because how many times, you know, there is something, there is a ball kid that is, you know... Uh, slow. Not, yeah. not only slow, maybe he falls. Yeah. And then maybe you just want to check with him. Or, you know, there is something, conditions are not the same everywhere. At the end, the conditions must be the same for both players. And if you apply the rules in the both... In the same way, both ways, you're being fair. I think that that's the most important thing. So, so for giving time violations, how how much would a player have to go over to get a time violation for you? And we see, because we see this with like Rothman at all in Sanders for it, obviously. Like he can, whether the rule is, I think, 25 at ATP events and 20 at Grand Slams, right? It's interesting that it's different, especially because it's shorter over best of five. It's 20, which is 20 in WTA. 20 in WTA, also, yeah. okay. Um, 25 on ATP. So, um, you know, a lot of times they won't get a, a time violation until like late in the second set or something, when clearly they've probably gone over that time, you know, a dozen times before that. So how, how do you make the decision of how to do it? And, and is there something to be said? What I've always sort of 
seems what seems obvious to me on that is just the very first time, whether it's in the first or second game of the match, they go over. Just give them warning right away. Well, there might be that, some that never happens, for that, though. or maybe it never know, happens. They, well, you know, depends. If yeah. he goes for 45 seconds on the second yeah. point, and or he's left 40, and then he goes into 40 seconds, it w will happen, and it's yeah. the fourth point of the game. Yeah. So but it has to be something extreme, you think, like 40 seconds, not like 26 seconds. Or maybe 26. Depends yeah. on the reason, on why. I mean, you have to judge the whole situation. So where you, are you? you what a, happened? Do you, have a, do you have a clock in front of you? We have a we have a stopwatch stop in, yeah. in the in the tablets. Yeah, yeah. we used to have one in our hands. Yeah. Um, but and it the starts, when, it starts when you put in the score. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And uh, but at the end, as I said, I think every situation is different, and that's extremely important to realize and, and to understand. It's not easy to understand. And um, you mentioned some names, but I think it's unfair because at the end you, we create a topic, and I think when you create a topic, you put focus on it. Yeah, um, that's true. And I think. You know, there might be some players, you know, that they take longer at some moments of the match or they just want to take longer and they are okay with time violation. You know, it's, it's the moment they need to breathe yeah. or it's the moment I can't judge it. What I'm trying to make sure is that I'm fair all match long and that I apply the same criteria because I think if you have one criteria, people know your criteria, they get used to you and that communication we were talking about before, sometimes you want to put in a small, you know, Soft warning, guys, we're doing really well, but this last two, three points, we're stepping a little bit over and it was just one, two seconds. No. Or, you know, you just want to cut it straight and depends. You know, sometimes you really, every situation needs a different evaluation and it's, that's, that's, a big, that's the big fun of officiating, actually. If not, it would be machines. So what, you mentioned the time violations, so just in general, dealing with the players, what are the biggest differences between working men's versus women's matches? Hmm, Is there a difference? I think it's more a difference of player A or player B on the men's or player A or player B on the women's. Individual personality. I think yeah. exactly. It's just, you know, everyone is different and it's adapting and finding the way to communicate or to transmit or to deliver your message the best possible way to that specific player. So you might say, you know, there is this topic as well, you know, the guys shout much, but the girls, you know, they don't forget. No, it depends. It might be a guy or a girl. There might be, and some players want you to be strict and to say, listen, don't talk to me, just hack, act if you need to. Some others really expect you to, to, to talk to them and say, you know, this is what's happening. And you learn with the experience, but it's, I wouldn't say men's, women's, I would say player A, player B, player A, player B. So uh, obviously there must be players who, umpires, and I know there are, who know it can be tougher or more difficult or more have angry or whatever. How do you sort of prepare for, well, for, I mean, for a difficult player? I think it, the difficult player depends also on the umpire. Okay. So you might be very good with player A, B, C, and then you know with player D you had some problems in the past week. So maybe yeah. you know you bring memories from the from the last couple of weeks. Or I think the best way as an umpire to prepare is to you know be fair. Be from the minute one when you walk on court, there is no topics. There is no oh this no. guy's going to be slow, this girl is going to be slow. No. There is if, if you start like this, you probably are not no. being fair to yourself or to your uh, profession. Yeah. So I think it's just, you know, it's a reset. You know, you start from you. Obviously, we work all the year long on the tour. And yeah. in the end, um, you kind of get to know players. And maybe, you know, if you work three, four weeks, as, a, as we talked about before, in, in a swing of tournaments, you know, maybe you have umpired the same player four times. And then, you know, maybe it's the time to let it breathe a little bit. Depends. Like... Again, I, w I would no never say there is an ABC. There is, you know, this is how it is. You prepare that way because you expect a tough match. No, sometimes you think on, you see on paper yourself, oh my God, that's going to be the match of, of the year. And then it's not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or sometimes you have a match where you say, 
my goodness, what a level of tennis, and you didn't expect it, or yeah. how much did I have to step in as an umpire, right. and you didn't expect it, so go from zero. How much do you have to know about the background? Because obviously there's a lot that goes into, a lot of X factors and external factors can make a certain match more tense, or something like that, say, you know, one player just, you know, took the other player's coach from her or something, or, or, or uh, you know, someone took their boyfriend or something. Things happen like this on, on this tour. How much, or doubles partners who just broke up or are now playing against each other in singles or doubles or something like that. How much do you have to be aware, and are you aware when those sort of things are going on? I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I've never been really aware of those things. Like, okay. I, I was like, oh, really? That, that, what happened? Because people say, how was it? You know, was there any tension? And I was like, what? You know, yeah. like you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, I think as not as I said, you you do your job, and then you know what what is also important to understand, and I think that's that's something it's good to be known and good to be discussed. You know, we are all people with families at home or yeah. with friends at home or with you know in a relationship. You're traveling all year long, and then you have some times where you're worried about things happening at home, or where right. things you know you just landed two hours ago. You go straight from the airport. You go on court. You know. There is a lot of situations, so yeah. the best thing, you know, focus as soon as you're there, you know, your next match on, half an hour, I usually say you need 20, 10, 20 minutes for yourself just to get into, you know, be focused, go in there, do your job, <sighs> then you're out and you say, okay, let's evaluate, was it good, was it not, but you need that, you know, you need that focus and every match should be from zero. Yeah. One other, one other common question we got was just about getting to know players off court. I mean, how much? Because you're in the same hotel, same airports, same you know player lounges, whatever it is these people. How much do you try to get to know them, or ultimately do you try to keep a distance so there's not you know too much appearance of bias or getting to be close friends with somebody that might affect something uh, during a match? How do you how do you find that that balance? I think you, you said it very right when you say you know appearance of uh, of bias. Yeah. And I think you, obviously there is bias and there is the appearance of bias. So right. you, I think common sense is the best answer. Like. You travel with the players. You are in the same situations as the players. You might live some airport delays with the players. So, speaking, you know, sharing things about your profession, learning how they, you know, see things, and that's great. I think that that relationship should just be natural. Now, obviously, I would never go with a player for dinner, or I would yeah. never. No, I think you have to understand what's your job and what goes behind that. And and I think you. I would say, yeah. We, you just want to do apply common sense you know if you're in a in an airport together obviously it's great to say hi and, and you know how's things going where you're coming from what's your next tournament whatever on the other hand i would never go into so how's things at home do you have you know brothers sisters yeah. no that, that's that's the private sphere that's and then, much, yeah. you know common sense i would say okay. um is it i think especially with social media chair empires have gotten a little more famous <laughs> you know, people people track them people have favorite chair umpires now among tennis fans i'm sure you've been asked for like selfies at tournaments or things like that is that at all is that at all weird for you has it been for our chair umpires to talk about that because i know there, there are like people who are big you know maria chichak fans or astaraki fans or Moleani or whoever it is they, they, i'm sure you i'm sure you have fans too do you ever uh, notice those so. comments or, or or see things and feel like wow people people know who i am i've had people i've heard who it was it was I think it was Carlos Bernardes. I had people ask me on Twitter like to find out what matches he was doing that day at the Australian Open because they were going to the Australian Open and just wanted to watch his matches. They didn't care about players. They wanted to go watch Carlos Bernardes matches. So when you, when that you, happened, you're you're a damn yeah. great umpire, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> but do you, but do you, but do you, have you noticed that that sort of trend of, of umpires getting to be a little bit more known? Is that a good thing, bad thing, weird? What what is that like? I think you know, 
it happens. Yeah. Um, I've I've never been a big social media user in general, okay. so I've always tried to stay away. My sister is a big you know, YouTube, whatever, all these things that I really don't get that much. Okay. Um, I think that's part of it as well. You know, some people really focus on the umpire for the good and for the bad. You might get a lot of critics as well, or you might yeah. get a lot of you know, hey, great job or whatever. Again, common sense. You know, don't let it grow. Don't. It's, it's nothing you can do, you just keep doing your job, but it's, it's great when people, you know, say, hey, you did a great job. It's also some, sometimes needed when people say, hey, you're not stepping up to your game. You know, it's fair. I think everyone should be able to say their opinions. Obviously, umpires, as I said, one player loses, so you're always going to have any kind of, of, of sure. someone thinking that's on you. But, um, nah, I think this fame thing I don't think it's it's really but big you, have, you must have had selfie requests or something oh yeah definitely yeah. yes definitely <laughs> yes and some tenants more than others and uh, obviously very happy to 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 anything like that I mean yeah. if, if, if someone really wants a picture with, um, with an umpire here we go absolutely <laughs> fine and it's awesome and you try also to chat a little bit and you know there are some people I've met like this and then you meet them at other tournaments and hey it's yeah. part of tennis family yeah so, so we're all, cool. all in the same boat yeah um <laughs> Which tournaments have the most comfortable chairs? Oh, that's a great one as well. Or uncomfortable. If you remember any particular chairs for good or bad, because you're sitting up there for a long time. I which remember, chairs do you like? I remember the chair in, sorry, I hope that doesn't, it's not taken bad at all. Um, in New Haven, there used to be this kind of towel you had to jump in from the side. Uh -huh. Oh, that was that was kind of my goodness. Once you were up there, you Dangerous. were like, "Thank God, this is not clay." No. <laughs> on the other hand, you then have a beautiful view on the court. So but, it's higher, you think? That but getting chair. up, yeah. yeah, and it was like this. It it was moving a little bit at the beginning. They changed it actually. But yeah, they they again. If you're a tall guy or if you're a shorter guy, if you're everyone has his preferences. I'm usually, you know, I try to not lay in too much. Um, but yeah, there are, there are situations where you say, okay, I'm not comfortable at all. Let's, <laughs> let's add towels to it. You yeah. know, you're, you're slipping down and that, that's a problem. For yeah. Anytime that happens, that's a big problem. <laughs> so, so you mentioned, but this is the most common question we got is what happens if you have to use the bathroom during a match? We see players take bathroom breaks. Can, we, I've never seen a chair umpire take a bathroom break. Can you do With, it? Or do you try to do it when a player does it too? Or how, how do you? If it how really do you do gets it? to the point where you need to, I mean, my longest match was five hours forty something minutes. Um, I didn't go. I was strong. <laughs> <laughs> I went straight after. <laughs> um, it's also a management because at the end, if you don't drink water, you lose focus. Right. So you need to to get to know yourself, learn how to manage yourself, yeah. but. Um, you try to avoid it. Again, it would be bringing the focus on you, stopping the match for an umpire. That's definitely not what we want. But if you really get to a point where you need to go, you maybe try just to find a moment where it doesn't affect people, or it doesn't affect the match. And then if some players are going to the bathroom at a set break and you say, listen, I really need to go, you would yeah. jump out. But there is no umpire's break. Okay, say it like gotcha. <laughs> um, chair umpires, you get, sometimes you get different outfits at tournaments. You're usually wearing a lot of khakis. Mm -hmm. How many different pairs of khakis did you get, or do you get to keep the same khakis and bring them each tournament? Because khakis are a very, a very standard part of umpire fashion. So how much? How many? In my have? career? Yeah, I guess. Or do, I you don't get, know. do you get new ones every week, essentially? No, well, it depends. You know, we as a WTA team, we have a uniform. When you are not in a, in a team, maybe the purple you, shirt or the white shirt. Purple yeah. shirt, white shirt. You have some some khakis as well. Um, when you're not. You know, working for, for 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 one of the of the organizations, and you just go as an land empire, and you you need to, to dress with their clothing provided, so you get some clothes uh, for that week. Or so yeah, I would say it's definitely yeah. 
Yeah. The first year I really kept kept it. No, you keep it after the event. It's for you. But um, you, at the end, you know, I don't know, a thousand khakis maybe. Yeah, exactly. Career. Probably yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, that's what I'm imagining. Just that closet full of just khakis and polo shirts. Yeah. Khaki sponsor, absolutely. Yeah. But some of I, like the Wimbledon clothes are fancier though. But you can't like. I guess you would look ridiculous wearing those out like, you know, a, yeah, definitely. a, night, a in, night out. In Mallorca in the summer, yeah. in Mallorca in the summer, you're not going to wear that place, right? Tell no, you. <laughs> um, have you ever had. Beautiful, a, though. You, beautiful. Yes, like beautiful this stuff. style is, is fantastic. Yeah. Have you ever had a player refuse to shake your hand after a match? And if so, does that bother you when that happens? Because obviously, when people see it happen, people go, ooh, you know. That's a good one. Um, I've had people not shaking my hand just because they forgot. Yeah. And then coming after the match, oh, I didn't shake my hands with you. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's fine. I mean, yeah. again, it's it's a player's choice. I would never refuse a handshake. Um, I've seen one umpire do that ever, I think. Yeah. I couldn't recall, but, but yeah. for sure there has been some. Um, I think it's just part, you know. You are in a court. Everyone is looking for their interest and you are trying to make the rules be enforced. So there will be situations, you know, where you don't agree. But at the end, you know, Gamesmanship, you know what happens on court is on court, and at the end, you know, um, I, I, I wouldn't take it bad either. But obviously, it's, it's again what we're talking about: external consideration or internal consideration. Is it like a huge thing, probably for the crowd in that moment? Oh my God, they, the fight went so long; they haven't shaken hands. Inside, you know, well, we we didn't shake hands, so obviously, he wasn't happy with my job. Can happen. Yeah. How competitive is it between? Chair empires. You know, there's a limited number, I guess, of gold badges and silver badges and things like that in Grand Slam finals. And you guys are obviously not as directly competing as the players, but can it be? Is that something that goes into it? Because there's a limited number of, like any job, there's a limited number of top spots. You remember when we were speaking about, you know, you are yourself and if you fit, you fit. I think that's the key. Like, if you think you are in a competition, you probably just made yourself not fit into the system. Yeah. So, you know, it's just you do your job, and 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 if 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 things work, if you you know things happen and you solve them right, you have the right explanations. You make your mistakes, but you explain why that happened, or that's how you get up. If you try to compete with someone, I couldn't do the things my colleagues do, and they wouldn't do the things I do. Probably it's just because everyone works different. So the competition shouldn't be there. Obviously, you know, you try to get the furthest you can on the tournaments. You know, especially when you're starting. Oh my God, I did a main draw match. You know, or those things are gifts. It's just uh, chances you're given other than competition. So uh, I remember, you know, one of my best friends, when we started, we did both together the bronze bitch school in here. And, and then there you go. And, and she got that big match. And, and I wanted to be there. I just wanted to enjoy it, you know, having her on that chair. Like these things is more than a competition. It's like you want the chances to be there, the chances you earn them instead of being given them. And then you want to enjoy and, yeah. and, and you want your colleagues to enjoy. And then promotions, there is so many different reasons. why I, I don't know why someone gets promoted or not. Um, for sure, it's a whole pack of reasons. So there wouldn't be a competition possible because it's not doing this right. It's just so many other things, yeah, you know? a lot of factors. So, do you think, I guess, one question we got this is, do you think technology could ever completely replace chair empires? Or, or do you think you always need uh, a human being up there? Well, for me, as I told you before, officiating is, is especially in tennis, is eighty percent about communication. Yeah. So I think that that's the best answer. I don't think that's that's happening. Machine but can't I think, do that, yeah. but I think machines or, or technology is, is is extremely important in sports general. I think we have seen in, in Europe at least. You know that soccer is a big sport. They did some tests in, in Japan with the 
uh, team World Cup and, and things like this, mistakes happen. The thing is, if you apply technology, have a good, have procedures, have you know, make it sinful, make yeah. it make it have, have uh, sense, or make make it have sense. Yeah. Um, so be ready, be ready and know how to act with it. Um, technology can on, only help yeah. help develop the sport. It's the way also you know fans can read it as well and. and Data nowadays is so important in sports, yeah. isn't it? And the more data you provide, the more more information the fan has to, to oh my God, look at this match, you know. Or I think at the end, all what technology can bring is a lot of uh, of, of support into the world of sports. So I, I always say, open the doors, just make it right. Uh, last question we got is on communication also. That when, when a player is like screaming at you or something, how hard is it to stay calm and not like want to match their, their <laughs> anger? <laughs> there is... Uh, Situations and situations. <laughs> no, sometimes you you can't really understand, and sometimes it's going really so far that you want to jump back. At the end, you have to think, what am I getting from doing this? Do you really want to shout, or do you really want to hold back, listen? Tough to say, but yeah, sometimes it's really you feel like, oh my god, am I small? Everyone shouting and everyone looking at me, or you know, especially when you're starting, when you have more experience, when you have been shouted a few times at you, that you you learn how to deal with it, yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah. So no, nah, it's depends on the match again. But experience helps a lot, you know, knowing how to deal with those situations where you feel, oh my god, I just did a mistake and everyone is seeing it, or that's part of the job. That's part of the job. Well, it seems like a job that you enjoyed I a did, lot. I yeah? did. So hopefully, I, I think you'd probably recommend people who might be interested to, to give it a shot. I always say, oh, and I've got it explained like that, that officiating was university of life for me. You yeah. know, it's where I learned how to talk to all kinds of people, how to communicate with people, how to adapt to different cultures, to different way of working. So it has been an, an amazing path. Now I'm, I'm trying to, to open up new doors and new paths, but I'm also kind of excited about but um it definitely every single day has been worth it so um, i enjoyed it a lot and let's see what happens in the future yeah and you got good stuff like you said you went you got your or you finished your master's now? i did yeah. yeah congratulations i did thanks so much so you're yeah whole Two big tough world years ahead. exactly long lo- lots of long nights <laughs> right <laughs> whole big world ahead of you thank you very much for being here felix absolutely my I'm pleasure sure people let's enjoy it uh, listen to this and Enjoy the rest of the week in Mallorca. Thank you very much, Ben. All the best. So thank you very much, Felix, and thank you all for listening to No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. Follow us on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis. Uh, send us an email for upcoming shows, nochallengesremaining at gmail.com. And subscribe to us on iTunes and any other service. Leave us reviews there. You should know this drill by now. I, re- I really think we don't need to keep saying this, but reminders, I guess, can't hurt Uh, Until later at Wimbledon, hopefully when the draws come out, if the rain ever stops. Bye, guys.